Succeeding at anything in life takes work. I've been fortunate enough to lead a life filled with incredible opportunities, and I've interacted with many of the most remarkable experts in their field. It is abundantly clear to me that anyone can be successful if they'll just take ownership of their personal greatness and if they'll work on improving every single day. You simply must do the work because if you don't grind, you don't shine. Welcome back to the If You Don't Grind podcast. Another week, another episode, another great guest, former teammate of mine, Josh Denton. Uh, currently uh, an analyst with Northrop Grumman uh, and working in the uh, Department of Defense and government contracting space and has great experience in serving others and maximal performance and outstanding achievement himself. Uh, we talk a little bit about his experience on the football field, uh, being a five foot six, 150-pound running back coming into college, maybe the only player on the team that was smaller than I was, so we really identified over our uh, lack of size, but our, our huge heart and our, our willingness to compete at the highest level. So we get into that a little bit. We also talk about Josh's service of students and, uh, you know, and how he worked at University of San Diego and also at National University and really working to ensure that students with lack of opportunities or you know, first generation college students or minorities really were able to access um, everything that was available to them and really have guidance and direction. Uh, because they were, you know, disadvantaged uh, and and not necessarily as familiar with the collegiate process as um, as other students were. So he gets into that, and then also talks about the difficulty of dealing with, you know, a body that that kind of starts to betray you and breaks down on you a little bit. And so he he had to reform his diet and his workout plan, his exercise, um, you know, for his own health and well-being because he he developed ulcerative colitis and. Um, some internal issues, and, and he talks about that. He's very open and frank and blunt about it and offers resources and wants to help however he can because it can be really frustrating when Western medicine presents its solutions and it's not able to do the job that you hope it would. So he talks a lot about uh, eating well and eating for uh, longevity and, and talks about his personal journey that way, and so really love to share that, and hopefully uh, if that can benefit anyone, then that's a good thing. And this week's episode is sponsored by LinkedIn and LinkedIn Talent Solutions. LinkedIn Jobs. If you are looking for your next hire, LinkedIn Jobs is the place to do it. They've got over 740 million professionals on the LinkedIn network, and certainly I've used it myself, the platform. It's terrific to source for candidates, uh, a great job platform. You know, you really can do whatever you want. You've got targeted screening questions. You can get whoever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. You've got in-mail that allows you to, to contact uh, candidates directly, and so really it is an outstanding solution. So you can go to LinkedIn Jobs, and they will help you hire the right person. And so for your first job, you can go to linkedin.com backslash grind and your first job post will be free. Again, that's linkedin.com backslash grind. Terms and conditions apply, but it's a great resource. I can't endorse it enough. Hope you enjoy it. Here's the episode with Josh Denton on the If You Don't Grind podcast. All right, my guest this week on the If You Don't Grind podcast is uh, my brother. Man, he is... Uh, he is someone I've known for uh, over 15 years. Uh, we both come from America's finest city, San Diego, California. We both play the, the position of greatness, especially as it relates to San Diego, the running back position. Uh, and San Diego's produced so many great running backs, you know, Marcus Allen, Terrell Davis, Reggie Bush, the list goes on. Josh Denton, the, the husband of Jessica Denton, who, who uh, should be known as, 
is a phenomenal human being and someone that I've got immense respect for. And so, uh, Josh, I know you do too, but I appreciate you coming on with me and chopping it up a little bit. Hey, JT, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really honored not only to just be on here talking to you, but, uh, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, you know, being able to know you 15 years and, and witnessing your journey literally firsthand, um, you know, I'm very excited for everything that you've been able to accomplish thus far. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to be a part of uh, this chapter of your journey, man. So I appreciate you having me. Yeah, thank you. You know, and, and I started the podcast with the intention of, of spreading information and greatness and commonalities of people who achieve great things. And, and you know, you have not had an easy life athletically, uh, your health journey. You know, you have been battling uphill and have uh, perhaps been better off because of it, right? You've, uh, you've arrived at a really good spot. Um, presently, but it wasn't without, you know, a lot of hard work and diligence and, and, uh, and compassion. And there are so many traits that you display that I am, uh, I'm awed by, you know, to have you as a teammate and as a friend um, and, and the things that I've seen in you as an individual, you know, it was, uh, it was a no brainer to, to reach out to you to, to have you on. And so, you know, maybe you can you can detail a little bit your upbringings, where you got your grind from, and and uh, you know, kind of the path up to and up through you know University of San Diego. Yeah. Okay, man. Well, listen. You know, I'm long winded, so I'm definitely going to try to skip the, you know, the the stuff that came from you know my parents, you know, making me, and and try to just get to the juicy parts, right? And uh, I would say that that probably started uh, my junior year of high school, uh, mainly because. Uh, you know, I was playing at East Lake, you know, uh, East Lake High School down in, a, you know, in Chula Vista, South Bay part of, uh, of San Diego. And um, in short, I was not technically the starter going into the season. Um, we had a, a running back who at the time, it was his senior year. He was a three-year starter. Um, and he was actually one of the top running backs in the county. You know, Reggie Bush, obviously, our junior year was his senior year, so he was all the rage, and everybody knew about him. Uh, but, you know, uh, it was another gentleman named Mark Whaley who also was a first-team All-CIF running back, um, and I believe he was a second-team All-CIF his junior year, but his senior year he was first-team, uh, just to give you some context. And he had, you know, schools from Tennessee to, uh, I want to say, UCLA and Arizona State. He had a lot of big kind of blue-chip schools looking at him uh, because he was that talented. Um, and deservingly so. Um, and we played in a wing tee, uh, you know, formation. So, you know, there were multiple positions. So I always thought, okay, he's the main back. I'll have a chance to do enough, you know, to maybe get the, you know, the slot back position or maybe play the opposite of him. And, um, you know, going into the season, I was his backup. Um, and so the, the, the frustrating part uh, wasn't just that. It was actually the experience when, when uh, I played my first official game um, on varsity and it, started with him actually being hurt and not starting. And so we're, we're warming up. We're literally getting ready. And after warm-ups, uh, kickoff's about to happen. The coach comes to me and says, hey, you're starting. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, Mark can't go. And so nobody had a suspicion that he had any real nagging injuries. I think the coaches were very coy about it. So I said that to simply say, man, I didn't get a warning. I didn't have, you know, I obviously knew the plays and all that, so I was prepared. But I, I just didn't have the same pregame jitterness that I think you normally would have when you know you're going to play, because um, at that point I wasn't sure. And uh, I kid you not, I think it might have been the third or fourth carry, and I ended up getting a 60-yard touchdown. 
Um, and while that sounds great, it got better. Uh, and I finished the game with uh, over 200 yards on about 20 carries and four touchdowns and, two, uh, and a two-point conversion. So I say all of that to simply say you would think, okay, there's three running back positions, you know, that you could technically start with. We have a star player who's injured right now, but now this guy's proven himself. You would think, okay, um, come next game, I'm probably going to be in a lineup opposite him and I'll get some, some touches and, you know, we'll figure this thing out. Well, next game came and conveniently enough, it was against uh, the school that I had transferred from my freshman year, which was Hilltop. Um, I played my freshman year of football and my first year of actual contact football there. So I was really excited because I'm like, now I get to play my old school. You know, I'm talking trash to all my guys, and I'm pretty confident that I'm going to start. Well, fast forward all of this, man, game comes. I don't – not only do I not start, I don't get a carry that game. I'm on the sideline. So I mentioned that to say, man, uh, my football exposure in terms of just full-time contact, you know, uh, was very up and down early on, and that year was kind of cognizant of it. And, you know, I didn't ultimately end up starting – um, for the next several games, and I think maybe it was by midseason, maybe the fifth or sixth game, they finally put me in at slot after I begged one of the coaches, position coaches, to say, hey, I can run this other play, you know, better than everybody because I do it in practice. Like, let me run in the game. They gave it to me in the game. First time I touched it, I scored a 50-yard touchdown. So, you know, after that, it was kind of, you know, locked in. So I was locked in the lineup. I played and did some things, obviously. Uh, but, again, I was still second to our star running back, and it was only my senior year, ultimately, where I kind of became the focal point of the offense, um, where, you know, I was able to achieve a few different things, but nothing that I think was really important to me, such as um, winning the CIF. You know, I, I wanted to be a champion. I wanted to try to go undefeated. I wanted to do things that, as a team, we, I had never experienced before. You mentioned, you know, where do I get my work ethic and all these other things. I had a natural desire uh, to learn and to excel. You know, I love school growing up, but um, things athletically came very natural to me most of the time. I mean, basketball was actually my first love, but, you know, with my height, I think God had other plans. So, you know, ultimately I pivoted to playing, uh, you know, contact sports uh, my freshman year in high school and did relatively well. And, you know, again, still probably a little bit of a late bloomer, but I got enough attention where USD was an option. And, for somebody like me who really valued education, it was kind of the best of both worlds because I had an older cousin who was actually like a star basketball player. He literally was like, you know, one of the like, I think he was like the fourth ranked shooting guard in the entire West Coast coming out of high school where he played at um, St. Augustine, which, as you know, is a really good private school here. And, you know, he initially went to Oregon State and was playing there, and then, you know, things happened, and he decided to transfer to the University of San Diego. And so he was about three years older than me, but I obviously used to follow him through sports and whatnot and, you know, and track all of that. So when he came to the University of San Diego, that's actually what put that school on my radar because I used to think, you know, growing up and seeing the big blue dome off the 8 freeway, I used to think that was a church. So I never even thought anything of it. And I was like, hold on, that's a college? And, you know, obviously I learned a little bit more about it my junior year and knew about it, but I didn't even look at that as a school that I thought would be somewhere that not only would I go, but that I would actually play sports in. But in terms of, you know, what kind of set the foundation for me, I think it was just a combination of, one, being the oldest of three boys. Um, so, you know, when you're the oldest in the family, a lot of times what your parents are doing with you is kind of trial and error. <laughs> if you're the first board. But, you know, the second part to it really was, you know, I was trying to kind of find my own space 
you know, growing up in a very strict house, you know, and I say this because I know, you know, different cultures have different experiences, but, you know, uh, there's, there's a very unique experience when you have a very strict black mom growing up who, you know, she, she still at the end of the day, you know, whether you, you know, work a part-time job and you play sports and, you know, you're, you're taking AP classes, which were all things I was doing while I was playing football, but I still couldn't go do certain things if I didn't do my chores every day. And it wasn't just going to wash the dishes or take out the trash or what, clean the bathroom. It was doing it to her liking, you know, and, and she would check it, you know, and she had her own little way of doing it. And if you weren't doing it, it everything else was going to be a problem. You know, you were still going to go to school, but you might not play this week, you know, and she meant it. Um, and I learned that the hard way my freshman year when I thought I was going to play basketball. Um, a few things happened and it just ended up being a, a scenario where she told me, she's like, you know, you're not playing. You know, she's like, you haven't been focused, even though I'm doing well in school, I'm not focused at home, according to her. So uh, that was a lesson learned. And I, I made sure never to repeat that again. Well, that, that tough love, certainly, I you know understand how that can be a foundation for your success, but you know, there, there was also, you know, the recruitment uh, process and, and that's an uncertain thing. Right. And, and so I remember, you know, the, the running backs coach your freshman year was Jack Harbaugh, coach Jim Harbaugh's father. And, and in helping in the recruiting process, he said he remembered going to campus and seeing your letterman jacket, uh, or, or maybe you came to USD rather and saw the, the shoe with the wings on it. Uh, and, 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 yeah. and remarked that you must be fast and, uh, we yeah. got to get that guy. He really liked that. Yeah, I vividly remember that. Uh, I love Jack Harbaugh. He's a good guy. Um, and, and just to kind of reinforce your point, um, I did go to campus. So I was actually coming to campus, um, and it wasn't the official visit. It was literally just to come meet, you know, meet Jim Harbaugh at the time, uh, because at the time the recruiter was, I forgot his name, but I remember him being the tight ends coach. And he was the one who used to come to campus and recruit me. So I would talk to him quite a bit. And Reggie Davis so or Kyle Slusser? He, it might be Kyle. Davis. I think it's okay. I think it's Kyle. Kyle, Kyle okay. Yeah, it sounds really familiar. I just remember, I, you know, I came to campus, and again, I was expecting to meet Jim Harbaugh, so obviously I meet him. I know him growing up. I'm a Charger fan. I remember him playing a couple seasons here, and, you know, I remember coming with my dad, and so, you know, they see me in person, and, you know, I got my East Lake Letterman jacket on, like he mentioned, so, you know, I'm a three-year Letterman in, in football and in track, and um, and so, you know, to, to Jack's uh, credit, he noticed the emblem. Like you said, it's a tennis shoe with the wing, which is for our, uh, it's the track emblem. And so, uh, you know, I didn't know the full story at the time. I only knew it in hindsight at our banquet when he spoke about it. And then I talked to Jack afterwards a little bit to get detail. But, you know, in short, um, you know, when Jim saw me and after I left, you know, the first thing he said is like, man, this guy is little, you know, obviously, like I said, I was a, I was a generous five, six. And I think at that time, you know, I was, I was still working out quite a bit. Um, after my senior season, but I had only gained maybe five pounds. So I was about 150. But, you know, on the, the little form that you fill out, I always said I was 160, 165. You know, you always kind of inflated a little bit. And so, uh, you know, he had those genuine concerns. And I guess, you know, though he said that the first response Jack had to him was he said, you're not paying attention to the wrong thing. And Jim's looking confused, like, what do you mean? And so he says, he points to my jacket. He's like, did you see what's on it? And he, he was like, he had a wing on there. He was like, he has something you can't teach, which is speed. He's like, your job is to figure out how to use it. So that was kind of the foundation to obviously what would 
similarly be a up and down start to my career at USD, <laughs> right? And, you know, yeah. um, we could talk a little about that, right? Because you, you technically started even later than me, even though we both were incoming freshmen at the time, and you started about a week later than me. So I'm curious yeah. to know from your lens, what, what did that situation look like for you, actually? Because, I mean, it was very different. Oh man, I was I was just trying to work as hard as I possibly could. I I don't remember much. I was so I was so low on the depth chart. I needed a shovel and a pickaxe and a and a helmet with one of those lamps on it to just try and get out of the hole. I mean, I, they didn't even have reps for me. You know, I they, I remember they You're right. They took You're right. They they took most people's pictures for the, you know, for the program, you know, they took them in a studio, right. You know, and, and yeah. or, they, or they found a place to take you. I mean, they gave me like a polo, three sizes, too large, threw me up against the, the, the outside of the locker room and just said, smile. I mean, that must've been the most pixelated picture in the history of mankind. So, you know, <laughs> we, we were both behind a world-class running back in Evan Harney. Exactly. Who ended up, exactly. I think being the, the, yeah, the league player of the year. I mean, he was, he might be the second all-time leading rusher in the history of the school, and he played uh, two seasons. You know, I mean, he was just yeah. phenomenal, 1,300 yeah, yards. He was of, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we both played nice. behind him. You know, but when, when you and I both got our, our time and our touches and our starts, you know, we, we made the most of it. You know, just like you did in high school, just like I did in high school, same thing in college, you know, when people doubted us both, you know, me for – you know, either the color of my skin or how I was about, you know, 80% as fast as you, you know, probably we're 20% slower, however you want to phrase it. But, you know, you, you had, you know, the height and weight, you were a little smaller and, and, and shorter, but, you know, getting that opportunity, getting the opportunity to start to play, to perform at a high level, to, to score. I mean, what was that like for you to yet again, prove people wrong and, and show to yourself and to others that you're, you know, you're good enough for that opportunity. Oh, you know, um, it, it, I'm going to be honest with you. I had, I had real doubts my freshman year when we redshirted and it was for a couple of reasons. Right. Um, and I say it because it's, it's very parallel almost to my junior year that I talked about in high school. And it wasn't a matter of whether I thought I belonged or I could actually play I was concerned about the day-to-day, week-to-week grind. And I say that because um, being 100% transparent, I remember one of my position coaches, it wasn't the running back coach, it might have been our receivers coach or defense coordinator, whoever it was in our high school. He, I think he actually did both. I remember that year when he was coaching on offense, um, I went back my senior year to watch some of the games because my brother was a senior the year after me. So I used to follow them and I see him. And one time he told me, he said, how are you doing at, at USD? And so I said, you know, it's a process, you know, I'm red shirt and so I can put some weight on a course and cetera, et cetera. So we'll go through the small talk. He said, okay, how's practice going? And he's kept asking questions. I said, listen, what? I got to ask, why do you keep asking me about practice? He said, man, I got to be honest with you. He said, of all the star players that we've had since I've been here, a coach, and he had been coaching there, I think, about eight years at the time. He said, you are by far the worst practice player we've had of all of our star players. <laughs> and so that just wow. took me back. And I was like, I was like, what do you mean? And he said, he said, I don't know what it was. He said, but it just, you, he's like, I always got this vibe that you didn't enjoy practice. He said, and I mean it from the standpoint of not just like body language necessarily. He was like, but there's a certain energy that you would run with in the games. He said, and we never saw that in practice from you. 
He said, so it was almost like the switch was flipping. He said, I never understood it. He said, so that's what I mean. And he was like, you know, so that was always my concern. And some of the coaches was, how is that going to translate at the college level where you're going to have to compete every day? And so at this point, I want to say we're maybe about, we're maybe about a month, maybe two months into the season. So we're almost halfway in the season. And I say it because simultaneously, I don't know if you remember, even though we were redshirting, right, we still used to have to get up. And I think it was like on Tuesdays, we used to have to go watch film at like 6 a.m. before class. And in my mind, it made no sense for me. They're like, why am I watching film of the opponent? I'm not playing. Like, if I'm going to watch any film, at least let me go with the defensive players since I'm going to do scout team and I can go mimic their running back or something. Like, in my mind, that's just the way I was like, I can stay motivated because if I'm not playing, it's kind of hard for me to just hypothetically learn watching another running back when I have a running style that's completely different from all of them, right? So I say all of that to say, I had made the conscious decision, and this was probably two or three weeks prior to the conversation I had with my old high school coach. But I made the conscious decision that it was more important for me to either get down there with the defense or to get some sleep because I just genuinely was struggling to get sleep and to balance school, et cetera, et cetera. So I, met, I rationalized all the reasons why, and I ultimately ended up skipping those film sessions. I did it for about two weeks, and I remember – uh, our fullback, our starting fullback and team captain, John John, like kind of coming to me like, yo, why weren't you at film today? And I told him, and he was just like, nah, that's not the way this works, blah, 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 blah. And I'm not really trying to like really like give into that. So I was like, look, man, I hear what you're saying, but that's not really what I'm going to do. I'm like, I'm, I'm red shirt. I don't know what to tell you. He's like, all right. And he kind of shakes his head. I saw that to say, again, I missed two weeks. By that third week, I remember going to practice and we're, we're stretching Jack Harbaugh walks up to me and lays into me in front of the whole team. Where were you at? You know, I, I just found out you haven't been at practice or, or film session for the last three weeks. Shows you how much I effing care. I didn't even notice you weren't there. And he's just going in. And the whole time I'm like, I'm feeling like the smallest person. I'm already five, six, and I'm shrinking to like three feet. And our team captain, John John, is like looking at me because he's sitting right in front of me stretching. He's shaking his head like, I told you, I told you. And at that point, I was like, dang, like I'm really hitting the low. So I remember kind of prioritizing, like I'm going to kick it in gear to dig myself out this hole. So fast forward two or three weeks later when I had that conversation with my head, my high school coach, and he says that, that just added more fuel to the fire. And I was like, you know what? I had all these doubts and things. I wasn't sure. And all of that literally went away in my head. And I said, I'm doing this to not just prove to myself, but to prove it to others, because it's one thing for me to have my own doubt. And it's another, though, when it's showing in the way I'm carrying myself. That was a huge problem for me. And so there, that was just when pride and kind of ego took over. Um, and so that's when I really, uh, you know, I, I, I remember going to get some extra lifting sessions. I remember just, you know, for the first time ever, you know, taking one of those cold ice baths, which I always said I would never do just so I could kind of just have better recovery. And, you know, all of those things carried over in other aspects of my life. I mean, even with school, you know, I was doing well in most of my classes, but I had like one or two classes that was shaky. That got a little bit in order. I got, you know, more consistent. And I just remember, you know, not really noticing it until kind of after the fact, meaning after our freshman year um, and, you know, realizing that, okay, you know, there's another gear I have to kick it into you know, I showed that I can be here. Now I got to show that I can be good at this level. So 
you know, when we did spring training and, you know, uh, you know, obviously we still thought, you know, Evan was coming back for a senior year, so we thought the starting position was locked up. I was just like, I'm going to try to see if I can get on special teams, get some kick return or some punt return position, you know, maybe get some some garbage time when we, we have a lead, you know, my sophomore year. And obviously you know what happened, you know, fast forward through spring training and get to fall camp, you know, there was a freak accident situation where Evan wasn't even able to play. And this was, you know, after we had such a huge offseason, we're, we're all thinking, you know, we have these high expectations for ourselves. So now that position's wide open, and I'm thinking in my mind, like, I've been busting my butt. I'm going to see what I can do. You know, maybe I can get some more reps. But before I even go into that part, I want to know from your lens, what was your mindset when that happened with respect to Evan and, we, and you realized that that position was wide open? Yeah, you know, you talked about not really feeling it you know, for practice. And that's the point I got to my, during spring ball, my freshman year, I just, I was like, nah, this isn't really for me. And then, you know, basically coach Harbaugh tells me I'm fifth string, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, do I want to keep doing this or not? You know, like I got to reevaluate things. And so I kind of just floated along and was kind of, you know, fifth string, which was, you know, higher than I was when I started, you know, like I said, I was, I still needed the pickaxe and the shovel. Maybe I didn't need the helmet with the lamp on it this time, but I was still buried (laughs) on the depth chart. Uh, But, but once I heard that he might not be able to play at first, I thought it was a joke, you know, I was like, or, or just fake news or something, right? Like it was bizarre. Like you can't even imagine that they always say you're one play away. Well, what about being zero plays away? Right. You know, you're, you're one day away. And so, um, that's when I kind of, you know, flipped the switch and, you know, really wanted to work diligently to, to make it. And I, and I kind of went through the same thing that you did and that, you know, people doubted my size. And so they're like, well, we're going to have Kevin Haran and you, you know, and we're, we're going to see kind of what the, what it all looks like, you know, and they're, they're doubting my size, just like they doubted your size. And so, uh, I think more than anything from 2004 to 2009, I think that, um, you know, the, the Torero running back position could be defined by um, the size of the fight and the dog, not the size of the dog and the fight. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I, I only asked you because I do remember you being deep on the depth chart. You know, I think me and you were pretty close. Like if I was five, if you were five, I might've been four. You know, I know I wasn't like significantly ahead of you because, you know, we had Kevin who was like the big back backup. Right. And then, we also had, I think it was uh, Mark Chantrulli, right, who was like third straight, but he was one of our like special team aces, right? So he was always going to play and travel on the away games, et cetera, et cetera. So it was like outside of that, it's kind of slim pickings to get, you know, touches. Um, so I mentioned and I asked you about that because I had learned a very valuable experience just from that part of it prior to our, our first game of our sophomore year, right, which was stay ready, you don't got to get ready. Yeah, you know, um, absolutely. I, there was a rapper. There's a rapper that I, you know, named Sugar Free, and I used to listen to his music, and he had a song. He just, and he, it's one of his favorite says, "Well, stay ready. You ain't got to get ready." And so I used to always say that. And the crazy part is, I did not live it in that moment because, like I said, I was focused on proving I could deserve to be here and be competitive, but never in my mind did I really think I could supplant our starter and I could go do all these extra things. So when I was training and doing things, it was always to be like, so I can get opportunities, but not necessarily maximize the opportunities, if that made sense. And when, when the opportunity came, I don't think I was fully ready to maximize it. So even though I did have some level of success when you, you, know, you fast forward to, through the, the season, right, 
Um, you know, you shot up the depth chart. Um, I can't say I was surprised, to be honest, and I say that humbly because I saw parallels in that season and what I saw from you our senior year in high school, you know, from afar. And I say this, just keeping it a buck with you, right, which was, okay, I'm watching Prep Pigsky report and I'm seeing Coronado, you know, win games and uh, on pace to having an undefeated season. And there's this white dude, you know, with, with a Chuck face mask, you know, looking like a throwback 1970s running back who's literally just slicing and dicing and having three, four, five touchdown games. I'm like, who is this kid? And I remember, you know, we used to always talk about it. As a running back, I was competitive, so I would always follow who the other running backs were and what they were doing as a form of motivation. And, you know, I remember um, when the, the Alex Spanos All-Star Classic, which was, you know, the, the annual countywide football game that would happen between North County and South County uh, occurred, I thought I was a shoe in to get picked for that, and I didn't. And I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, you actually did get picked. And, yeah, you should have been. You should have been picked, but yeah, and, it's a popularity yeah, contest at that there, point. So, well, there was there was some politics involved too, because if you remember the high school, the coach that was overseeing the South team that year, yeah, he was the head coach for Benita High School, which is literally our rivals. Like yeah. that's our annual game and whatnot. And so he always, I would say, undervalued me as a running back. He never thought I was anything special. I'll never forget my my junior year. You know, again, the same way my season started, right, where our star running backs hurt, so I get to play, and I get 200 yards, four touchdowns, I mentioned, whatever, right? But I'm not playing. Then towards the end of the season, we played them the second to the last game of the regular season, and it was like, you know, again, it was for, like, league championship, and, you know, it's, you know, it's for the boot, as we had, which is our little statue for our rivalry, and our running back was hurt again, so he didn't play. And I'll never forget, you know, he's talking to my head coach, and he's, like, looking for me. He's like, where's Mark at? And so our head coach told him, oh, Mark is hurt. He's not playing. And so he responded. was like, oh, Dim's okay back. He was like, good luck. That was the conversation that happened between the head coaches. My head coach knew that I would respond to that in a positive way. So he told me that conversation right before kickoff. That was all the fuel I needed that game. Now, I didn't get nearly as many touches. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there's a chance I, it was like – like Michael Jordan, you know, where they're just like, you know, he's making that stuff up or just trying to put a tip on your shoulder. You never know. They just, they know what it takes to get you going sometimes, but it works, right? No matter what. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. You're right. You're right. He could have been, you know, lying. And at the end of the day, it, it, he still garnered the desired results, right? You know, I had a really solid game against them. My senior year, I made sure to do the same exact thing. But I say all that to not go backwards, but to move back forward, right? When I remember, I remember going to practice you know, and watching the South team. And I remember seeing you and PT and DeMarco, a few other guys that we played with, and a few of them, I remember, they went to the league and played, you know. So, you know, San Diego's got a rich history of, of players. So it wasn't like getting on the team is easy. So watching you and, and, and be in that space, you know, you stuck out like a sore thumb. So we're just going to be honest, you're a white running back, you know what I mean? But you proved that you deserve to be there. And so when we came to college, um, and I saw you not necessarily our freshman year, but our sophomore year maximize those opportunities and, and beat out uh, Kevin Heron for the starting spot. I really wasn't surprised. I mean, um, you know, you've always had a certain level of just natural intelligence about you, but you also had a sports level of intelligence. And I, I understood what the difference was between those two because of the style and the way in which you ran. You weren't the fastest, you weren't the biggest, but 
you knew how to hit creases, you knew how to make yourself small, not absorb hits, to bounce off of them. That's the one thing that always stood out that I noticed because I was like, for him to get these carries and to be at a play week in, week out and be durable, I mean, it was just extremely impressive and for no reason just because of that, but you were also productive. And I mentioned all that to simply say that was also a level of fuel that reminded me when I get my chance, I can do some of the same things. And, you know, I think it took maybe like the sixth or seventh game of the season, our sophomore year, for me to really get some time. And that's when I got my, my first touchdown, right? Um, and now the, the, the strange part of it is kind of full circle. I got more touches that game than any other game that season. And I don't think it was a coincidence that that was the week that Jack Harbaugh had also came back. Because remember, he only coached his freshman year and then he left, right? And so when he came back, you know, I, I don't know it to be true, but I know that he always had a soft spot for me. So I remember at one time hearing him say, like, yo, why is Josh not getting any uh, – why didn't I get any touches? And I wasn't close enough to hear the response, but he was talking to the running back coach at the time. Um, and so I only say that to say, you know, obviously I didn't start, but I got more touches that game. And I remember with him being there, I was like, okay, I'm going to make sure I'll run his favorite play the same way he always wants me to, you know, which was 96 power. That's his favorite play. He always said when he died, he said, it's going to say two things on this. He's like, it's going to have my name and my, my years I was born. And it's going to say 96 power under it on my tombstone. So I say that to say, I remember getting that play. The fullback did an excellent job of kicking out the de- defensive end. So now I just got to hit the hole high enough to beat the, the middle linebacker who's kind of come in the field. I beat him through the hole. Now it's just me and the safety. I didn't think what to do. It was more instinctual, but I just remember kind of doing a quick one-two kind of shake and bake and then just, you, got him. you know, making, making a cut to the right side pylon and just booking it, you know. So I don't know how long it was. It was like 30, maybe 40 yards, but I just remember I went untouched. And, and, and the beautiful part about it wasn't that. It was that as soon as I got on the sideline, I damn near got a concussion because everybody on the team came and dapped me up or hugged me or patted my hat you know, my helmet, and we're just as excited, you know, and I think that that was one of the defining moments that I say uh, really captures the essence of what our team was that year. You know, um, I had never been on a championship team until that year, and, you know, we had so much preparation offseason and bonding moments and bowling and all those things, obviously, that we did to really gel together, but you just saw the genuine connections that we built and how much that transferred onto the field in moments like that. You know what I mean? Because I remember yeah. all the running backs being happy, you know, uh, yeah. for, for me. And so it, it made it easy for us just to celebrate each other's successes. You know, obviously we wanted to compete. We still wanted to play, but we understood we all had roles. And at the time, I knew your role was going to be to do the heavy lifting in the games. And my role was to do the heavy lifting and practice on the scout team. Yeah, and that, and that kind of teed you up, you know, and for for the success that you experienced, you know, off the field and, and after after football, you know, and, and the game taught us both so much and really instilled a work ethic to be successful in both of us. And so, you know, you went on to get your master's and to, to work uh, in the collegiate system and really, um, you know, at USD especially, just helping people who, who needed help, you know, whether it was, um, you know, with, uh, you know, with low income, you know, minority students or, um, you know, just through different programs. I mean, we, we talk a little bit about, you know, what the reward was like uh, at USD and at national and, and serving the students that way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
that was a I had a very I, I would almost say kind of unconventional path to to that type of work, and I say unconventional because you know when we were going to school there uh, University of San Diego in undergrad, I was a business major. I knew I wanted to do something in business. I that never wavered, and I had this vision after college that I you know I was going to go and work for a big Fortune 500 company and do all these other things. Right? I saw that to simply say though that you know uh, life has a way of not only humbling you but you know, almost laughing at your plans sometimes. And so I say that to say, you know, the last two years or roughly year and a half of undergrad is where I kind of experienced a, a lot of different hardships. Um, you know, one of those began with just the health issues, right? Um, they started my, my senior year of high school, even during the recruiting phase, and I didn't understand the significance of it, uh, of what would later be classified as my ulcerative colitis diagnosis. But I officially was diagnosed with that my junior year while we were playing. So I say that to say, you know, I was experiencing all these different things. I remember I couldn't really gain weight regardless of how much I ate, how much I lift. I just couldn't gain weight while we were playing football. You know, I sat around 160, 165. And, you know, when Harbaugh left and we had a new coach, I remember asking myself, in light of all these other things going on, do I really want to try to, you know, continue to do this? And I say that because simultaneously, uh, the USD athletic department had that Terrell networking night, right? And I had landed a summer internship with a couple other teammates working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. So when I was doing that work is when I really got exposed to things that I, I think kind of exposed me to what life after football would look like. And I knew that that was going to be a difficult transition. Um, and I didn't want to do that while I was trying to graduate and enter the professional field simultaneously. So I remember making a decision that, you know what, I'm not going to play my senior year. I'm going to go ahead and continue to work, get some work experience. I'm going to do all these other things to try to just figure out how to be a student and, uh, and, and, and prepare myself for life after college. And that transition was brutal because I didn't realize how valuable football was for me just from a discipline standpoint until after I stopped playing, because now you have so much more free time, right? You can go do all these other things that you want where when you were in football, you woke up at 5 or 6 a.m. for lifting, and you weren't done with your day until probably 9 or 10 at night in study sessions. So you had class and you had football sessions nonstop in between that. Well, you no longer have that structure, so it's all about your own ability to remain disciplined and to remain focused. And while I would be able to do certain things and do really well, I realized that I wasn't as consistent in doing those things at a high level. You touched on your ulcerative colitis, and it's led you to a health journey that I think would be worth you just touching on kind of as a last talking point here because, you know, conventional medicine, um, you know, tried to give you, you know, pills, potions, and lotions, and, you know, none of that stuff worked. And so you you ultimately ended up finding health and wellness through um, herbal, natural, regular remedies and cleaning up your diet and be more being more conscientious. Would you mind just kind of you know, given a 30,000 foot view of that and, and explain, you know, kind of how you went from sick to well uh, through kind of nature, nature path, homeopathic remedies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I want to, I want to definitely, you know, acknowledge that uh, that journey uh, was a long one. Uh, and it was one that I don't think I, I had a sense of urgency with on the front side because I just had this kind of youthful ignorance. Um, even when I was diagnosed because I was playing football and I didn't look sick, in my mind, I wasn't, um, and I lived accordingly. You know, I did all the same stuff that 
every college student or most of us used to do, right? You know, you, you drink a little bit on the weekends, you know, if you were hanging out socially, of course, responsible drinking. Um, and there were all these other elements of just, you know, when we go out to eat and the types of foods, there were things I was not supposed to technically do that I was doing just because I'd never thought there was going to be a consequence to it. But I was reminded of that, um, you know, years later, um, come 2015, um, you know, at, at this time, uh, my biological dad, who was super health fitness and ran three miles a day and, you know, it was in the military as a sergeant for some time. So he did all these things and just, you know, he was in amazing shape and he had been diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. And so in the span of about three and a half years, I witnessed this man go from, you know, a, a very uh, athletic five, six hundred and seventy five pounds of muscle to a man that, you know, weighed less than 100 pounds and was barely recognizable on his deathbed. And I was there to witness all of that. Um, and I mentioned that for a couple of reasons. Uh, that was my introduction uh, to what I kind of call the dark side of Western medicine, because I, I recognize that there's a lot of benefits to it and that it's helped a lot of people. So I'm not one of those people that bashes, you know, Western medicine and say everything about it is bad. But what I did learn is that it's still a business, you know, um, pharmaceuticals is a for-profit business and how they treat cancers and certain ailments has a profit model behind their approach. And without going into the weeds on it, you know, I just remember, for example, one of the things I learned, you know, with, with the, him having colon cancer was being very cognizant of like, well, what is he, he can eat that helps him and, you know, or at least can reduce his pain. And um, I remember he kept talking about his stomach hurt, just it would hurt all the time. And I always just assumed it was the cancer um, and, and, you know, some kind of byproduct of his uh, treatments that he used to receive, you know, just being in chemo and, and, and radiation. And uh, remember at one point in time when I'm out there in Houston where he resided, right, and it has uh, MD Anderson, which is like one of the best cancer facilities in the country at the time, and he worked in pharmaceuticals as a regional sales rep, so he actually had the best kind of uh, health insurance you could get where it wasn't a matter of how much something cost, it was just, is this service available? I can get it. So, I say that to say, even with all those resources, watching the kind of service he got rose a lot of questions and eyebrows. And when I mentioned earlier about his stomach hurting, fortunately, my wife was with me uh, when I was taking care of him on one of the trips. And when he said it, I remember her looking and going to the refrigerator, and she brought it to my attention. She's like, I'm almost positive this is why his stomach hurt. And it was these six-pack bottles of Insure, which is, you know, some type of like uh, I forgot what they call it, but you know, I don't want to say probiotic, but it's New like a healthy, healthiest. Yeah. Yes, exactly. No replacement type shake, right? And so I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, it has dairy in it. She was like, and I was like, okay, well, what's the big deal with dairy? And so we're like, you know, she's the one that does a lot of the studious type of research to understand food and, and just the, the effects of it. And one of the things she brought to my attention was, well, in dairy, there's a key ingredient in it called casein. Um, and it's exclusively found in dairy products. And casein is almost single-handedly the one ingredient that your, your body and the cancerous cells that, are, that might exist in your body will feed off of exponentially. It doesn't mean that's the only thing, but I just mean it literally just helps it reproduce in your system at a ridiculous rate. Very few things that you can eat or take will, will do that, right? And so she's teaching me this. I'm like, really? So I'm doing research now and this other? 
And so the first thing we did is we like tell my dad, like, Lowe, stop, stop taking this. Like, this isn't good for you. I remember we went and got a Vitamix, you know, because my wife was huge on smoothies and we bought that and started making the drinks. Now, obviously, he still passed, but I can fortunately say that, you know, as painful as some of the experience might have been for him, it didn't include those same abdominal pains that he was experiencing because he no longer was doing dairy, which was causing part of his issues. And so that's kind of the seed that was planted. So fast forward it, when my father officially passed, I basically went through 300 plus days of having a flare up of my ulcerative colitis. And it was the worst flare up I had ever experienced in my life. Up until that point, I used to get abdominal pains. I occasionally get diarrhea. You know, I don't mean to get too graphic, but, you know, it was that type of feeling, but it would go away in like a week or two. Well, experiencing that for 300 plus days, which included bleeding from your exit every single day, that changes you. That changes how you think about life. It changes how you think about what you're doing every day while you're living. And so when you compound that with what I experienced with my father, I said, I can't go down this same road. And that is what led to me really taking um, an intentional effort towards learning about how to just stop the pain first and foremost and stop the bleeding. That started with the actual uh, food diary that I, I started re, uh, documenting everything I was eating and the symptoms just so I could track the symptoms and how they would intensify or get better. And through that experience um, is where I, I started indirectly venturing into the plant-based or vegan journey because I just started by removing dairy. I was like, I need to remove dairy. After removing dairy, then I started removing certain meats. I, I already wasn't eating pork and I wasn't eating red meat, but I was like, okay, I'm going to give up turkey. I'm going to give up chicken. And the last thing I had to give up at the time was eggs. And being a breakfast person, that was a big deal to me. But I just remember as I did that, I started feeling better. The bleeding wasn't happening every day. It was slowly but surely happening less frequently. And you know, there were some other things I had to give up to, like just tomato-based products because of the acidity that's in them and some other things. And, and, and once I was able to realize that I had been on four or five different medications, and while some of them helped me, none of them stopped the bleeding, none of them stopped the pain to that intensity, um, it was literally what I was eating that helped heal me. I said, okay, it could be a special circumstance. This could be a scenario where it's unique to me because my condition is not as widely known to most people. Um, you know, Crohn's, while that's also not as known, that's a very similar disease. The only difference between Crohn's and ulcerative colitis is the location in the intestines because ulcerative colitis essentially exists in your large uh, intestines, the area anywhere from your large intestines to your rectum. That would be ulcerative colitis if, if the condition exists there. If it can exist anywhere else in your digestive tract from your esophagus all the way to your small intestines, that's considered Crohn's. And so most people were familiar with that, but they weren't familiar with ulcerative colitis, including myself. And so the hard part was I still wasn't comfortable even just talking about it, you know. And eventually it just got to a space where once I got better, I said, you know, I remember learning so much in college, you know, from my personal experiences and a lot of my failures, the best thing I could do was to share those failures so other people can learn from them and not repeat those things. And that's, again, a philosophy I took when I was working in, in higher education. So I took that same philosophy and said, you know what, I'm going to share my journey. I'm going to be a little more transparent with those around me so that they can learn, too, that you don't have to be as sick as I am to learn that you can be eating in a way that's going to help you live a better life because we're just used to going to the doctor, telling our doctor what's wrong with some, you know, what's wrong with us. Our doctor is going to prescribe something to us, but typically it's going to be 
to treat your symptoms. It's not to resolve and fix the source of the issue, if that makes sense. Whereas if you do food in a certain way, it can actually change the composition inside of it, you know, internally and actually fix the source of your issue so you don't even have to take medicine. So I just started doing more research and learning about those things. And, you know, it, it really just fast forward to all of this now. It just um, got to a point where, you know, it was like, look, I'm not going to be one of these, you know, super strict, crazy, you know, like gung-ho people that this is the only way to do it. This was to say, if you're open-minded, this is another way you can be healthy. And more importantly, it's a way that you can do it where you control it, right? Um, you know, we, we don't always control our circumstances, but you can control how you respond to them. And that was really the, the, the essence of the approach I was taking with learning about food and how it can help heal. So, you know, I've had moments where it's been a touch and go, but fast forward now, you know, I had gained a decent amount of weight, you know, just living life, working really hard and kind of just being caught up in that. And even though I worked out a minimum of three days a week weightlifting, and I would do at least three days of cardio every single week, and my wife went attest to this, I do that. I was still a nice husky, 188 pounds at 5'6". So you look at your BMI, go to your doctor, and he's telling you you're basically obese and you need to do something regardless of how much of it is muscle. There's a portion of it that's not. And so I just remember getting to a point where, you know, there were just certain things I couldn't do anymore. I'm trying to run a mile just to jog, and my knee, if it could talk, is cursing me out. And I know that part of that has to do with the weight I put on. You know, I'm putting more pressure on these joints. And so all of these things led to where I said, you know what, enough's enough. You know, I am busy, but if I don't prioritize my health, my health is going to make me prioritize it. And that's where this year, you know, I made a concerted effort to say, I'm going to crank up everything I'm doing. And it kind of came down to these couple of things um, so I could land the plane on this story for you. Uh, one of them just really was focusing on changing my psychological approach to food because I've loved food since I was a kid. And I was classically one of those people that was almost like I would live to eat. And I was like, I need to change that where I'm, I'm, I'm eating to live, you know? And, and, and so part of that meant instead of eating until I'm like, oh man, I'm stuffed, you know, I'm full, which is what a lot of us do. I said, I'm going to try to eat this food, but I'm going to eat it in portions. And the goal is for me to eat till I'm no longer hungry. And when I get to that point, stop. And it was easier said than done. So what I mean is this, using it for example, if I make spaghetti, I'll make a big bowl of spaghetti and I mean a big bowl. I could eat that whole thing and I'm good, but I'm also stuffed, right? I'm full. So instead of doing that, I took about 60% of what I normally would make and said, I'm going to eat this first. And I would heat that up or make it or whatever. And then when I was done, I'd be like, man, I could still eat. But then I stopped and I would ask myself, could you still eat? Or are you still hungry? And I was like, I'm not hungry anymore, but I just know there's space in my stomach. And I said, okay, give myself 20 to 30 minutes. If I'm still hungry, I mean, if I still feel this way, I might go eat a little bit more. But let me just give myself some time and we'll wait and see. And that's what I started doing is just giving myself a little bit of time after I would no longer be hungry just to see. Again, there were times where I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat a little more. But most of the time, I, was, I, I didn't even have the desire to eat anymore. So it was those little things like that where it was like, okay, now I got portion control. You know, okay, now the second part, I have a sweet tooth. I love to eat sweets. I need to be able to eat this in moderation because if I stop eating it, I'm going to have a relapse because I'm going to crave it and I'm going to eventually give in. I've done that before. So instead of me going from eating one to two sweets after every meal, 
or, or at least two meals a day, I said, I'm just going to make sure I eat no more than one sweet a day. Then, best case scenario, I get to where I'm eating it every other day. Um, and that's ultimately the goal I've been working towards. If I'm being honest, I'm not where it's every other day, but I do make sure I don't eat more than one sweet a day. And there are some days I don't eat it. It's just not as consistent. And those two things had a profound effect on how I looked visually. That's what kind of kick-started the journey where a month into me doing this, I had already lost 15 pounds. So I was down to like 174, 175-ish, like in that range. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, this is really working. So what I was also doing at the same time is I increased my cardio. And I said, okay, I'm not just going to do it once a day. I'm going to do another kind of passive form. So if I do like the elliptical or if I go run, I'm going to go walk for 20 or 30 minutes the other part of the day. So if I did something in the morning, I'll do a little something in the afternoon as well to keep my metabolism going in a good space. And that's basically all the things that I did, you know, outside of just lifting. You know, when you're a sports player, you know, it, lifting for most of us is, is, is a stress-free type of a, or, or, or de-stressor, if you will. I literally stepped on the scale today just out of curiosity to see what I was, and I weighed 167 pounds. I have not weighed close to that since I played football. So, you know, it's not necessarily about the number, but it was everything else that came with it because I lost the weight, you know, in the in the right areas. And more importantly, you know, I can actually run where my joints don't hurt as much anymore and, and just little things like that. And, you know, at the end of the day, I always tell people it's not necessarily about how long you live, but it's about how you live. And, and that includes what you're eating to fuel yourself during that. You know, if you're putting the right things in your well, system, your body will respond positively. Well, I appreciate you sharing, you know, your journey and your story and, and so much today. And I can't thank you enough for being a great teammate the whole time. Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, I know we went over time a little bit, but, you know, um, I definitely just wanted to, to, to share as much as I can with you. And, and, you know, if you ever have any questions or anybody listening, you know, you can definitely reach out to me. Um, you know, I have an Instagram, which is my name, Joshua, my middle name, Javon, uh, dot 360. Um, or you can email me, my last name, Denton23 at gmail.com. Um, I'm not an expert by any means, but I am very transparent about my journey. So if you ever have questions just about eating plant-based or just, you know, alternatives to Western medicine, you know, there's a lot of things I've learned over the past six, seven years that I'm happy to share with you. Well, thanks a ton, Josh. Can't, can't thank you enough for joining me and um, always great catching up. Likewise, JT. All right. Be well. Take care, man. All right. You too. Talk to you later. Fun episode for me with teammate Josh Denton. Uh, he talked a little bit about the Philip Rivers, Antonio Gates story, and uh, I talked to him afterwards. Uh, you know, early on in his internship with the Chargers, they asked him to go down and get some footballs autographed by Philip Rivers, and he he goes down there and he goes into the locker room. And as soon as you walk in the locker room, you see Philip Rivers' locker, and he was fresh out of the shower in a towel, uh, and towels are made for regularly sized people, but when they're used by larger people like NFL players, they don't cover much. So he was, you know, uh, mostly uncovered. And then Antonio Gates was fully nude. And so uh, there was R&B music playing and Philip Rivers was singing to Antonio Gates for um, what seemed to be minutes. It might've felt like hours for Josh, but he had these footballs, was trying to get him signed. And then a running back fullback, Mike Tolbert was coming in the locker room, said, you know, what's up to Josh? And then Kind of gave him a look and understood what needed to be done. And, you know, Mike was like, hey, no time like the present to just go and get those those footballs signed. And Josh was not up for it, you know, somewhat intimidated by, uh, you know, one of the 
uh, Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks. Whether or not he makes it is another another question, I guess. But um, ultimately, the footballs ended up getting signed, you know. And uh, Philip Rivers was uh, was crooning and singing away to Antonio Gates. But after after serenading him, uh, ended up uh, signing the footballs and uh, and being a great guy, like he has always been known to be to Chargers fans. So uh, that will do it. That will wrap it up for this episode. Many thanks to Josh and sharing his personal health journey. And, uh, and some fond memories and some compliments to me. I certainly appreciate him. He's a world-class person, a world-class teammate, uh, great guy all the way. So that will do it. Uh, many thanks to Chris Donovan and Dave Solfero. Uh, appreciate each and every one of you who listens. And remember that the mission and the goal and the journey and the aspiration of this podcast is to help you recognize your own personal greatness and then empower you to work towards achieving it. Because if you don't grind, you don't shine. Thank you for listening to If You Don't Grind, for more info, content, or to connect with JT, go to ifyoudon'tgrind.com. 